Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. I made the decision in, as we were going on that um, in the very my, the first statement on my sermon note sheet on, under the introduction, it says, quote, this is the 16th and final message in the series of Paul's second epistle to the Church of Corinth. There was one thing I, I failed that I tried to do many times, but I, I feel like it's over when you do it. Sometimes you say it just tritely, but there's one thing I failed to do in that sentence. Does anybody know what it said? The Lord willing. <laughs> That's exactly right. The Lord willing. So all this is my fault. I'm sorry. Um, it, 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 I had this epiphany while this is all going on that I said, Lord willing, this will be the final message. And so it's not. Um, Lord willing, next week will be the final message. <laughs> um, so today, Lord willing, because um, who knows, I hope I finish the message. Um, but maybe the rapture will come and, and we'll, we'll find it out for real, huh? Um, is we'll look at the first half of this, okay? Um, which maybe that's God's blessings as I'm leaving tomorrow morning early to go um, minister to my mom and dad. And uh, maybe he knows what how the week's going to play out and that I already study and accomplish for next week. So, you know, it's kind of nice. Um, so, as we've gone through Corinthians, as we've looked at this epistle of Paul, I've said this before, but kind of coming into the end again, this common theme of embracing affliction. And at the end of the book, he talked a lot about the afflictions that they were going to be going through and the struggles they were going through, but he uses himself the illustration a lot. And um, I... I get that. I mean, uh, no, I use myself as a lot of myself, and I feel very self-centered when I do that a lot. But reality is, my life is what I know, and it's kind of hard to pick on somebody else's illustrations, you know, because this is what I know, this is what I've gone through. And so Paul does that throughout this book, and continues to come back to himself and pointing what he has gone through and how he understands and and how this plays out and how God has used it in his life, and, and so he is seeking to use the afflictions in his life to encourage them, as he said in 1 Corinthians 1, or first, 2 Corinthians 1, um, and the idea is that as God then comforts us in our afflictions so that we can turn around and we can comfort others, and so he's just trying to model that and demonstrate that for them. And so as we've gone through the book now, he has continually shown that over and over again, and now since chapter 10, we have moved into this final segment talking about... Um, the spiritual warfare that he's going into. In that spiritual war, Satan has these two targets, and we'll see this in the next slide. But again, he loves to attack the message, which is God's word, which is truth. But in that as well, the second half of it is that he loves to attack the messenger. And again, it's easy for everyone to look at me in this context and say, well, that's Bob. But the reality is, we've got to realize, you know, so in the military, I was Signal Corps. And um, if Rodney was here, I'd ask him, I don't, none of you all were Signal Corps, were you? Were any of you Signal? No. So the motto is, I am Signal, hear me. And so the idea was, the, 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 the job of the Signal Corps was to get the message through. Make sense? That was our, our goal. So Mark and I are going to be eating our heads against the wall this week as we're trying to figure out what's going on here. So we can... um, and so, because we don't know. 
But God does, right? And that's exciting. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so the one who has the answers will help us out this week. I have no doubt in my mind. So that's each one of us, though, is that we have got to get the message through. I have been given a message that has eternal significance. Not just me as a pastor, each one of us as believers, as the children of God, as ambassadors of Christ, we have been given a message of reconciliation that he wants the world to hear. And he has given us, think about this, in our day today, he has given us the ability to reach the world individually. I don't have to on a boat travel a month to go across the seas to reach another land. It takes me seconds. In fact, this morning, some people saw I put up the, the message on Facebook about the picture. It's good. I was glad when they said it to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I changed the initial page for the church's page. What we're doing now. Um, you can instantaneously put a, something on Facebook that begins to reach people. I've been amazed now with Corbin Home Ministries how many um, views some of my posts have. I've made it public from that perspective so that people beyond. And so um, it's amazing to me how many beyond my friends' views that are getting. Does that make sense? You have the ability to be able to be a testimony of Christ throughout the world. It's an amazing thing. When you go to, go to do that, you instantly will be joining the game. Does that make sense? So, I love football. A lot of you guys love football. Okay? Who gets the brunt of the attack in a football game? Quarterback. Okay? Always? See, I, I think you're short-sighted, Steve. Oh, the linemen. Oh, there we go. Why the linemen? Because they're where? They're on the front line. That's exactly right. The minute the quarterback says, hey, whatever he's saying at that moment, right? All of a sudden, there's a collision that's going on, right? And then there's other people who are called wide receivers or whatever, and they're going to run. In the end, the linemen get it immediately. Beyond the linemen, who really are the ones who are going to get it? The one with the ball. Now, you got part of it. But you're still thinking short-sighted here, so or or, or specific. Any the game when there are eleven guys on your team on the field in a standard NFL game, there are fifty-three men dressed. That means that there are forty-two are doing what? They're standing on the sidelines, not doing anything. Do you get it? Now, back in the day, George, right? Now, I know you've probably never been to major big football field, or big football, okay? Back in the day, there were a whole lot of guys who played what? Both sides of the line. That meant they played all the time. They were always in the game. I think we've missed something today with our special lives. We've become that in the church. We've got a whole lot of specialized players. A lot of people standing on the sidelines. A lot of people sitting in the stands. When we're all supposed to be in the game. And the minute you get in the game, you become a target. 
the defense, assuming you're on offense, wants to stop you from accomplishing what the coach called for you to do. There's opposition, and it happens in spiritual war. The minute you get in the game, you can expect opposition. It's not fun. It's easy to want to, to, to come up limping a little bit. So, oh, I'm hurt, which I gotta get out of the game a little bit. I gotta go get a respite. But there's a lot of times we gotta play through our injuries, play through our hurt. Because God wants to get the glory in the midst of it all. We head into this final, final, final portion. We've seen Paul defending the ministry. And as he has gone defense of the ministry, first saw him um, talk about his calling. And he talked about the standard of the in Christ and looking to the humility of Christ. The sphere of his ministry was those whom he was around. And again, that's you and I. Sphere may be smaller than others, maybe bigger than others, but reality is on Facebook and other got to be on Facebook, and I'm not saying social media. Far, you have a wider sphere of opportunity. Use it for the kingdom of God's glory. But in the end, summation of our ministry is going to be your relationship with God and your representation of God. And are you representing him? Too many people don't know him. They think they know him, or they're pretending they know him. They're playing they know him, but they don't know him. But in the end, it doesn't matter whether you say you know him. What only matters is he knows you. It's not he who commends himself to God, but whom Christ commends. Secondly, then, last week, we saw Paul's credentials, which were attested to by his devotion his afflictions, and his revelation. And in his revelations, the primary revelation talking about how he knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, who went into the third heavens, whether in the body or out of the body, he, wouldn't, he couldn't tell, right? He said, but this individual, he would, glory, he would gloat on. But he turned around and then said, but lest he then himself would glory too much, God did something special for him. Special. Special. Yeah, he gave him a, a thorn in the flesh. It's so special, isn't that a special gift? I mean, it, don't I mean? Come on, I mean, you've I don't you've been a part of it. I know guys and each other. You know, special gifts when you turned what he put all special gifts over your house, celebrating your your oldness, anyways. And so you've done the same things to her. That's forest fire under Kate. That was my son's giving a special gift to her. So you've, we've done that, right? And, and, and we kind of chuckle about those. But God, in a sense, gave a special gift. And this is what Paul recognizes it as. Paul, God gave Paul a special gift. It was a thorn in the flesh. It wasn't something he was excited about. In times he asked that the thorn would be what? Removed. But God said, I don't think so. My grace is sufficient. But he understood it was a gift because lest he would become so proud of himself, lest he would become so full of himself, God did this for him so he would remain humble. I get that. That is so important for us to understand and to recognize. Because 
ultimately, him who glory, glory, glory in this, that he what? He knows and understands Yahweh. Our glory ultimately ought to be in God. And that's what Paul wanted. Even if it took born in the flesh. Happen. And so I ask myself, as I ask you, are you willing to have a thorn in the flesh in order for you to be humbled? In order for you to be drawn to him? So today, we get to Paul's challenge that Paul is, is challenging the verse in the end here. And this comes from chapter 13. I didn't have Chuck read into it, but I'm going to read um, these verses, but we're not going to talk about them today. We'll talk about these verses next week. But this is the concept of this, and that is that throughout all of this, Paul has been giving testimony about what God has been doing in this. And now, turn it on them a little bit. Today, we'll talk more about Paul. But in chapter 13, at verse 5, right after uh, Chuck finished, he said, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. And so that's that part that he is picking up, that you will trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. First, in this challenge to them, um, the challenge to consider genuineness is to consider his genuineness. That, that as he has been playing this out to them, kind of now bringing it all back to a nutshell, saying, okay, look, I want you to, to test me. I want you to, 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 to say whether I am truly genuine or not. And so he then brings it out to them, first of all, in his dedication to them. And um, we were going to go to Acts 18 and Acts 20 to look at the first and second that he had gone to Corinth, but we're not going to do that. You can do that. That's all those passages are about. That Paul, in his one of his second missionary journey, he had gone to them um, and spent weeks that were there. And what was exciting about the first time that he went to Corinth was, if, if you go back and you look at this, is that Crispus, I'm sorry, um, Sosthenes was the ruler of the, um, is that right, Sosthenes? Yes. Was the ruler of the synagogue. In, um, no, I'm getting this wrong. Check, somebody check me out on this. Acts 18. Crispus was the first one. Crispus is the first one. He comes to faith, doesn't he? And so he comes to faith. Um, things are happening there. And then the second one, so after Crispus becomes a believer and kind of walks away from his role as the leader of the synagogue, Sithosthenes becomes the, the, the ruler of the synagogue. And, and so there's this riot that's going on in, in Corinth. And so they can't do anything else. The, the people go and they grab Sithosthenes because he's the ruler of the synagogue and they bring him out. Now, this is believers. They grab Sithosthenes and they bring him out and, and, they, and they pummel him. They, they stone him and they beat him up. And that's all we hear. That's kind of the end. Of the... But what's really kind of exciting is the first letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, he begins it by stating, Paul... Silas and Sosthenes to the church of Corinth. Which means that Sosthenes, the, the second ruler of the synagogue, threw him down, became a believer. 
There were some pretty impressive things going on in Corinth in the period of time. Revival. Synagogue. A revival. Whatever one you want to call it, right? And so, he goes back. Paul goes back. We're not told how long he was there. It's just a, kind of a little by statement that he will go through Macedonia, Macedonia and then he goes into Greece. And we're just not really told a whole lot about it. But he goes back down. So Paul then states, right, states right, and he states again in chapter 13, verse 1, I'm going to come to you now the third time. Paul didn't say what? He didn't start his off like I didn't start off my message. Lord willing. Because what happens? He gets arrested and he's sent to, he's sent to Rome. And he never gets back to Corinth. Okay? So, but it was his intent to be there. He was dedicated to this group of believers. If you would, more than they, they were dedicated to him. And that's what's going to come out in this next part. And that is his motivation for them. Look, I don't want the things that you own. He, remember last week we went through, um, maybe was it last week or two weeks ago, we went through the, the listing of the, the things that these false uh, teachers want. I know I have it in my introduction, so I'm looking back at it. I think it was last week. Um, where it, it talked about the listing of the, the things that these false teachers want, and it says clearly uh, false, te- false ministers seek to instill believers in legal our resources, the, the true church, exalt themselves, intimidate believers into obeying them. You remember that? Okay? So, they want to devour their resources. Paul says, look, that's not me. I don't want anything from you. All I want is you, yourself. In a sense, I see you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I don't want anything else. That's my entire intent. That's my ultimate motivation. I love you. I don't want your stuff. I want you. That's a pretty powerful statement. That's the mind of Christ. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the Things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the whole mind of Christ. He says, Look, I don't, I don't want your stuff. What I really want is the best for you. That's what I want. And so he goes on into this and he says, For children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty strong. Though the more I love you, the less I am loved. I think of Jesus on his way to the cross. He was going to die for the sins of the elect, right? No. Thank you. So others are bobbing their head this way. Phyllis says, no. <laughs> no, that's right. No. First John chapter 2 is very clear 
that Jesus Christ was not the propitiation for our sins only, he was also for the sins of the whole world. He wasn't dying only. He was dying for those people who were killing him at that very moment, who were spitting on him, who were punching him, who were flagging light him. He's hanging on a cross and he says, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they do. His, we're told to the believers in John 13, having loved his own, he loved them to the very end. Paul says, I love you. And I get this. The more I love you, the less I'm being loved. I don't get that. I know that this happened to Christ. And so I'm willing to accept it. Did I take advantage of you? Verse 17. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Even everybody I sent, I told them specifically. What? Don't take anything from them. Unless they offer freely, right? But you're not going there to get paid by them. You're not going there to take anything from them. We're going there to minister to them, to serve them. Freely you have received, freely give. We looked at, talked about that last week. That's what Jesus gave to his disciples. You can't charge for the gospel. There's a cost, but generally it's a cost to the one giving it. Thirdly, it was revealed in his edification of them. I have the word up there, paracletical. Does that sound familiar to you? Paraclete? you got to go back um, to January. January is when we began the series. And we talked about the purpose of afflictions. In that message, we talked about paracletical. Paraclesis. Because that's the word for comfort. That's there in, in, in 2 Corinthians 1. Literally, if you remember, it means to encourage, put courage into, or exhort. The idea of an exhortation as well is the negative side, if almost, if you would, of the positive side of encouragement. The idea is still one and the same, is that you're seeking to put courage into somebody. You're, you're calling, so parakaleo, para, alongside, Kaleo to call. So, parakaleo to call alongside. Come here, buddy. Come here, buddy. Or, you know, that's the encouraging side, right? You're doing good. Come on, come on, come on, come on up here. Or the exhortation. And that is what? Keep it moving, keep it moving. You can do it. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. We don't like that side sometimes. But we're exhorting someone to do what? To keep it going. You can do Push, push. In Ephesians chapter 6, 4, there's a statement to fathers. Chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, for the husbands and the wives, then we get into chapter 6, and it's to the children. And then in chapter 6, verse 4, the statement to fathers. Right after that, then there's a statement to the bond servants or um, um, bond servants and masters. You can, I call them employees, employers. But in verse 4, it says, And you, Father, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
again, positive and negative in this concept of edification. Edification is the building up of someone. And in the building up phase of people, there is one and the same concept of this sometimes seeming to be positive and sometimes seeming to be negative. I get to be a piece of wood and have a screw running through you or a nail being shot into you. My neighbor um, last week at the end of the service came over to my house. Remember, I, whoever was on, they found out I had to get off because or because the prayer request, my neighbor came over with a, with a nail stuck into his thumb. He had, was yeah, shooting the board. It, it wasn't pleasant for him to nail into his thumb at that moment, you know. I got home in time to take him down to the hospital. The urgent care told him that he needed to go there, and anyway, so I took him down to the hospital. I was just going to yank it off him, you know. I mean, that's, I've been there, done that, had that happen before, and you just kind of, you just have to grin and bear it and yank it. And that's what they did down there. So, but I, that's just for real. That's just how it plays out. But I figured if I did that and then hit, wind up hitting a blood artery or whatever, then I'm a real mess. So I said I'd just take you know, in that building up phase, sometimes there's, you know, I don't think, it, it's kind of exciting sometimes. You know, when we, we kind of go up and there's screws and nails being thrown into us and we're kind of, you know, it's a negative. You know, it's, it seems to be negative, but it's a positive because it's building us up. And so with the fathers, there's the nurture and the admonition. Literally, it's the, the, the nurturing is the kind of the feeding and, the, and all that kind of stuff. And the admonition is the, just, but it's encouraged, it's not. This word, it's the same concept without this concept so beautifully. It's this paracolo concept. And that is, it's the encouragement, but it's also the exhortation going on that we are called to do with one another. And Paul says, look, this is my desire for you. This is what, what Christ has called me to do. He has called me to edify you. And he's brought this up now three or four times in these last chapters. And he's going to bring it up again in, at the end of chapter 13, okay? You can turn, uh, it's a turning the page for me, but in chapter 13, when he comes down um, at the, the very end, verse 10, write these things, being absent, let being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. That his goal is to build them up and to... to to, to encourage them in all these things. And so he says, look, I didn't take advantage of this, but rather desire was when I, when I'm, when I come to you is to build you up, okay? For you. And so in 19 to 21, in chapter 12, we read, you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. For I fear lest when I come, not find you as I wish, and that I shall be found as by you such as you do not wish, lest there be, and then he goes through this list. Does that look like to y'all? What does it sound like to you? The contentions, jealousies, all the dissensions, contentions, jealousies, outbursts, arrests, selfish ambitions. Word flesh, Galatians chapter 5. Yeah, it's kind of same author wrote both of these things, and so he, he kind of had this list in his mind probably of what were, were works of the, of the flesh. And so he lists them, Corinthians here. He says, I'm, I'm fearful. The things that I'm hearing, remember in his first epistle, he said that he, he had heard from the house of Chloe that there was divisions among them. So he says, look, I'm, I'm fearful because the things I'm hearing, I'm fearful that all these things are playing out on you. Okay? So when I come, I don't want to be harsh. I want to be 
loving. I want to be edifying, not destroying. That ought to be each of our desires. That as we go out, as the messenger, proclaiming the message of God, our desire is to build people up, not tear people down. Sadly, the church has a history of tearing people down and not building people up. Truth is there. If the truth hurts, so be it. But as the messenger, I'm careful that it's not my words that are tearing people down. People, Judge not, lest you be judged. Romans 1 into Romans 2. Romans 1 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men because he exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then he goes through this listing, and I won't go through the lasciviousness and everything else that he puts out there, but Romans 2 then he starts with, and who are you, O man, who judge these others when you yourself do the same? We need to remember that every single one of us is what? A sinner saved by grace. Not a one of us are going to stand upon our own righteousness. If we did, I promise you, your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so as I go out and I minister to others with the message I do it as one who is experienced not as one who is beyond it. Does it make sense? Desire for his edification. Revealed then finally in his representation among them. 13, verse 2 to 4, he says, I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest. If I come again, I will not spare since you seek a proof We'll talk about that word next week some. A proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Paul says, in my understanding here, just as Christ exhibited power through weakness, he seemed to be weak amongst the people because he allowed himself to be what? Crucified. Yet in him was the fullness of all power in that he had the ability to do what? Raise from the dead, raise himself back up. And so just as the same way, when I am weak, then he is strong, and so his strength is made manifest in my weakness. And so just as Christ revealed himself in his weakness, the power in his weakness, so I want that to happen here. I just, when I come, I don't want it to have to be in this boom, 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 destructive kind of power, which is what the world's going to see. The world's going to see the wrath of God. That's the destructive power of God. When they face his wrath, when, when judgment comes upon him. Right now, it's not happening. He is, as Arush said in his testimony as well, drawing the people to himself. I believe that. The people are in great fear right now. Think about it. What's happening in the world right now is all because of fear. 
Satan is behind all fear. What is the fear of? Fear of death. People are afraid they're going to get COVID and they're going to die. Folks, you're going to die. I don't know how else to say this. You're going to die. One day you will die. It may be today. I may not die of COVID. I may die of a heart failure right now in your midst. I hope I don't. God doesn't prove it. But it could happen. It has happened in pulpits before. Not a one of us have a guarantee of tomorrow. I don't live in fear. My God has overcome death. You can't kill me. In that power, that's the power people need to see right now. The power of Christ in me, in you, through your weakness. Lest one day they experience, sadly, the fullness of his power in the judgmental sense. Because it's going to happen. So, in the end, I shouldn't do that because you have that. Um, it has to play all the way through, so you'll have to figure that out on your end. Um, <laughs> sorry. I got, there's a whole lot. Oh, you are the man. Is there a need to change the way you think? I have other, can you go to the first ones? The, the, the first of the, the big ones? Yeah. What about you? Are you genuine? We'll talk about that more next week. The genuineness of it. But it's the question. Are you, are you genuine? What is the evidence is there in your life? Secondly, if you were proud regarding your faith, would you be found guilty of being a genuine follower of Christ? People look at you as a minister. Do they see you as a minister of Christ? Or a minister of something else? Paul stated, For it is God who works in you both the will and the of his good pleasure. Do you hear his voice? Do you heed his voice? Finally then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Lord, it's so exciting for me, refreshing for me to be together. And Lord, I'm grateful for your word. Help us, Lord, to, to magnify you in it all. Lord, help us to be proper representatives of you on this earth, that you would receive the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.